0: Welcome to the Guild of Dads podcast, the place for dads into self-improvement, or as I like to call it, dad improvement. My name is Joe Horton, and I'm going to be your host for the next hour or so as we go on a journey of discovery. On each episode of this podcast, I deliver to you conversations that will expand what you think is possible for you across many areas of life. I'm also going to delve into some tough and interesting subjects so you get insights and a different perspective to take away with you. I do this by speaking to fascinating individuals, best-selling authors, entrepreneurs, and ultra-athletes, professors, psychologists, anthropologists, and also some ordinary dads like you doing some amazing things. Let's face it, none of us get a handbook when we become dads. We have to learn on the job. But being a dad represents a golden opportunity for personal growth and reflection about who we really are Because daily our kids shine a light on every nook and cranny of our personalities. If you're anything like me, you're searching for information about how to be a better, more capable, competent, effective man and father. A role model your kids can look up to and demonstrate a life to them where you yourself are growing, thriving and learning new things. Acquiring new skills and knowledge that you put into action. But it goes deeper than that. When you thrive as a man, everyone around you benefits the ripple effect is immeasurable at its core this is what guild of dads is really about so i'm going to ask you a simple question what would your life look like if you could get your mental health physical health relationships and self-improvement in optimal shape all at the same time showing up as the best dad you can be think about that then write it down There are a few ways you can get involved with Guild of Dads. You can listen to this podcast first and foremost, but you can also follow me over on Twitter or LinkedIn. I've already started a monthly Dads hike this year for two hours every month, which is free to join, set amongst the beautiful backdrop of the Ashdown Forest in West Sussex. One hour outside of London. You can also grab a copy of my book, The Dad Blueprint, which will fast track you free straight into our private Discord community, the Guild of Dads Brotherhood get this go to dadblueprintbook.com that's dadblueprintbook.com to join the monthly hike or if you simply want to reach out shoot me a dm or drop me an email to joe at guildofdads.com on today's episode i'm delighted to be joined by a psychologist licensed marriage and family therapist and attachment specialist adam lane smith to talk about his specialist area of expertise which is attachment Guys, one of the things I deeply believe in is in investing in yourself and your personal relationships so your kids can see that marriage does indeed take work and is, without doubt, work in progress. Adam came up on my radar because, quite frankly, I couldn't ignore him as he was everywhere online and his wisdom and knowledge on relationship dynamics and attachment are second to none. Put simply, he breaks this stuff down in very simple terms and he's helping tons of people in doing so. What underlines his message is a genuine passion to help people overcome their past and solidify their future, along with the future of their kids by breaking chains of the past once and for all. Expect to hear why the idea that attachment style is fixed in stone and cannot be changed is false. Why knowing the exact steps to take in healing your broken attachment style and the order in which to take them is key how avoidant and anxious attachment plays out in relationships. You might recognize yourself here. The importance of having a state of the union discussion about your marriage on a regular basis. And now, to my conversation with Adam. Adam, welcome to the Guild of Dads podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me here. I've been looking forward to this one.
0: So have I, so have I. We, we, we first kind of touch base back in the spring but with what with i think you had a new arrival and i've had a few things going on over the summer months and stuff so we've kind of finally got this got this scheduled and stuff so how old is your newest arrival now
1: oh boy it was born at the end of january so what is what even month is it right now is that seven months eight months you lose track once it's once you've had more than a couple of kids they're they're there they're alive i can hear them right now upstairs playing and that's all that counts
0: uh, they're quiet it's it's when you hear the screaming when you've got the microphone on that's when you have to worry about stuff
1: <laughs> that's right exactly chainsaws the explosions yeah
0: <laughs> and in terms of like why i've kind of actually asked you to come on the podcast um i've heard you on a few other different podcasts and it and it's and it segues really nicely from some of the earlier conversations i've had on this podcast because um i spoke to connor beaton a few episodes back around shadow work and then i had a guy um who, who you will know anthony migliarino and we were talking about kind of how um how how guys often embark upon this kind of shadow work or self-work in kind of in in midlife or maybe even a bit before midlife and um how this kind of like relates back to you know the the kind of generational chain if you like and um breaking that breaking that chain of what's happened before mm-hmm. um what i often hear from guys is my upbringing never did me any harm and then you and then you kind of delve a little bit deeper and you're kind of like okay I, I, okay so um so so so, so uh, how, how, how how's your relationships and stuff and that and then they go mm-hmm. mm, me and my wife mm-hmm. haven't been getting on and uh mm-hmm. and why is that oh well Mm, i'm probably a little bit like my dad in some respects <laughs> and then you kind of like and you like, oh, okay so it didn't really do you much in the way of harm and then did it sort of thing so.
1: <laughs> yeah just wrecked your marriage and it's just passing on to your kids and you're just miserable every day and you're drinking and, oh, the pain and yeah. yeah yeah, not that much harm yeah
0: yeah so you get that kind of sort of you you get that theme but yeah so so i'm excited about talking to you about this subject of what is going to be attachment we're going to be talking about today <laughs> because it just links quite nicely into a lot of the stuff i've been t- discussing on the podcast previously um and i think it's in, in it's important for guys to to kind of understand it where, regardless of whether or not it is kind of a, applicable to them where did your kind of background start cuz i know you've not always been um specializing in attachment you've got a background in psychology previously haven't you both in inpatient and outpatient settings
1: hmm So I started off by having broken attachment myself. When I was young, I was a child, a young teen, a young man. I had attachment issues myself from generational issues with my whole expanded family. And I started battling it and having bad relationships. And at some point, I said, I can't do this anymore. I met my wife and she was fantastic. And I said, I got to make this one work. So we fixed attachment and it was great. And I said, what the heck did we just do? <laughs> And I didn't know, I didn't know the words for it. It's just I was started being honest and connecting to people and being open and, and boundaries. And I was like, what is this? Someone must have the answer. So I went to school and I got my master's degree in psychology. I became a licensed marriage and family therapist, Three more, six years for school, three more years of apprenticeship, so nine years of training to become that. And then I started working in the field as a marriage and family therapist. And there was this blip in graduate school of a little thing in a little book somewhere that started talking about attachment from this person named Bowen way back in the day. Oh, Bowen talked about attachment. And I remember in grad school, they told us, you don't have to worry about attachment unless you are working with five or six year olds if it's an attachment issue it will always become a major behavioral problem later in life and teens and you won't even diagnose it then probably you will diagnose it when they're adults and it always will become a personality disorder don't even bother thinking about attachment if you're not working with little tiny babies and that was the answer that was it in graduate school and i've gone around talking to other therapists and they say that's what we learned too But as I started studying it, going into these, oh, like 500-page textbooks and big, like, you know, peer-reviewed journal articles of vasopressin and oxytocin, what does this mean? And I started studying this, and I said, holy crap, there's something here. There's something here. What is it? Attachment. That thing they told us not to worry about? So I started learning about it, and just it became everything. I started saying, this is this is the root. This is the root of so many things. So I started teaching seminars to other therapists. I started writing books about it. I've got my book, Slaying Your Fear, that I wrote as a pamphlet. It's 100 pages to hand out to clients who would come into my office who didn't want to read 500 pages. I handed it out to other therapists and said, read this, start applying it with your, your, your patients. And they said, this is amazing. So they start applying it and, and people would get better when they would fix their attachment. So I started talking about it online and people said, this is great. We need to hear more. So I said, okay. So I quit being a therapist so I could just focus on attachment and become an attachment specialist and teach people all over the world how to do attachment. And that's, I'm on TikTok as attachment bro. I've got my 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 hashtag for Adam Lane Smith has got 270 million views over there. I am on TikTok of all places where you think about young people having bad relationships, doing those weird dances. Like people on TikTok, they need to know about attachment. Let's just put it that way. The, the next generation is learning about attachment over on TikTok. But... It it became this giant thing that everyone needed to know about attachment. It's like, you're, you're pulling me on here to talk about this. And I love that. And I'm honored to do this, but everyone wants to know about it. And that's, it's become my life work. That, mm. that is how I, that is how I became the attachment specialist.
0: Yeah. Interesting. And when you first were kind of delving into it, was it seen as kind of like a fixed thing that couldn't be changed? And it was like a foregone conclusion that was set in stone. And it was a, you know, it was a cross that you would have to bear for the rest of your life sort of thing.
1: It you know it it was in some ways because the diagnoses here in the United States especially they they teach therapists to the Diagnostic Statistics Manual they teach them to a diagnosis so they don't necessarily branch out and teach you all the cool stuff that could be happening it's here's this diagnosis here's this diagnosis here's this diagnosis and there's very few attachment diagnoses one of which is Reactive Attachment Disorder RAD uh, for little tiny kids but it doesn't even really cover what the attachment issue is so. With Bowen, Bowen discovered way back when, they they classified um, secure attachment. Insecure attachment then breaks down into three pieces. Anxious style of eager to please because you don't believe you deserve love. Avoidance style of nobody can ever love anybody, so I got to stay safe from everybody and push buttons and, and try to keep myself protected and duck out of responsibility. and. What was called then disorganized style of back and forth, which now has become anxious avoidant style. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are so anxious and fearful that you become avoidant and a little bit controlling toward other people to try to keep yourself safe because you've been hurt so many times. And the the answer, when people take attachment style quizzes and they think about it, it's become a little bit of pop psychology of what's your attachment style? People have started to talk about it, Thank goodness. But they do. They think I can never change this. This is who I am. I am an anxious attachment style person. I crave approval. I am always worrying. I am always thinking that I'm not good enough. And I will just never change. And that is the biggest wall I bash my head against when I do TikTok lives. People come on and they're like, well, this is just my attachment style. And I'm like, no, you can fix this. You can. And people people read my book and they, they come back and they say, Adam, I cried for two hours after I read your book. Why? What made you cry? I just finally believed I could change my attachment style. I had never imagined I could actually change it. Like, yes, people think that their attachment is fixed, and that's the biggest thing I have to put to put the axe to is you can change your attachment.
0: Mm.
1: Please, everybody listening to this, please believe that that you can change your attachment style. Mm.
0: Yeah, and interestingly, before we came on tonight, I pulled up um, I pulled up some notes from a previous podcast guest, which is going to probably be coming out next week or two. Uh, mm dr anna machin who is a evolutionary anthropologist who's written a book called why we love and she was talking about how um she said child attachments impact how your brain is formed in particular your prefrontal cortex mm-hmm. uh with um low cortisol dense gray and white architecture in the prefrontal cortex mm-hmm. and she said um that kids with uh insecure attachment have high levels of cortisol no gray no dense gray and white matter in the in that area, and they struggle a lot more. um But interestingly, she said, as you get older, which is what you're saying, as you get older, the effect of early relationships becomes less attachment, not the attachment is not fixed, uh, and it becomes more fluid and not set in stone. So you can change it, which you seems, can change to be, it through, yeah, seems to be, yeah, seems to be the experience. misapprehension that 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 goes around.
1: It's just so dang hard to change your attachment style if you don't know the steps to do it. Mm -hmm. If you don't know how to do it, you have to do everything that terrifies you, that your brain tells you is going to kill you. You have to open up to people and contact people and trust people and be vulnerable to people. And you have to even explain that you have an attachment issue. And you have to even explain that you worry. And you have to even explain that sometimes you're not fully honest. And you have to explain that you think you're going to mess things up. And the fear is that people are going to say, (gasps) oh, I never realized that about you, but you are kind of a mess up. I didn't even think about that. I'm out of here. And that's the fear. And that's why so many people are like, man, I can't change my attachment style because it's terrifying. And then who have you been around? Well, you've been around people who confirmed that you deserve to be treated like crap. And then when you're around healthy people, they intimidate you and and you send up red flags so they don't really connect with you. You're only around unhealthy people. And those are the only people you're kind of built at that time to connect with. So you build a self-biased circle. I can never fix my attachment. This is true. It's a fundamental law of the universe. It is just garbage. I am garbage. I am unhappy. No one will ever love me. I can never trust anybody. It's never going to change. And Mm. then here comes this dude on TikTok doing live, you know, doing a live and doing a dance. I don't dance, but doing a live stream. (laughs) And I get on there and I, you know, I got a hundred people loading in and they all look at me. And I say, you can fix your attachment. You have to have these conversations. You need two to three healthy people in your life. Here's how to figure out who they are. Here's how to identify those people. You go to them and have this conversation. The next you have this conversation with them. You share this detail. You say this thing to this person. And as you do, you will experience this and this, a cascade of hormones, different hormones in your brain. This is what that is. Here's how it feels scary. It will feel scary. Here's what you do next. Here's the next couple of steps. And they're like, so I have this like TikTok army that is like coming out of the woodwork. Like Adam, it's fixing it. I'm, it's amazing. You won't believe it. I'm like. This is what your brain is built for. Your brain is built to have healthy love and connection and bonding. That's why you're taking to it like a duck to water. Keep going. You're doing great. And and they come back and they give all these reports. When When you fix it, it cascades into healthy behavior. And when you see other people fixing it, you want to fix yours too. And Mm. it's this power of fixing it and letting people see that it can be fixed. And it just creates an avalanche of people fixing their attachment. And Mm. that I believe is the key to fixing everything in our society, everything in our families, everything in our, in our, all the problems that we face, right? Mm. All the disconnection and fear, the suicide epidemic, the drug epidemics, all of that. If we can get the word out about attachment, (laughs) how you can fix it. And that there's hope and then people fix it. That's
0: how we change the world. That's right the here. way forward. That's the way forward. So if we rewind back a little bit, and mm-hmm. and, and it sounds like a lot of people discovering this after childhood, they're discovering it at a point further down the line. Um, where does this kind of begin to take root? So what what? how does this start? What's the starting point of mm-hmm. this when we're way back when to well, the point at which we can't even remember sort of thing?
1: Childhood, you mean? Yeah. Where does it start in childhood? Yeah, yeah. Birth, the moment of birth. Um, so your mother... She experiences a flood of oxytocin, and then you have the first breastfeeding and skin to skin contact, ideally. Um, you have all of that, and that releases a flood of oxytocin. And then the little baby cries, and mom takes care of them. And the baby learns when I cry, mom tends to me. Mom is here. I can smell her. I've known her smell from in the womb. I've known her, her smell, her, her voice. And then dad is here. My family is here. When I have a need, people take care of me and people don't hurt me. People nurture me. People, people are giving me love. And then the child grows up and says, okay, people are working with me and teaching me. I don't make mistakes and get hurt. I make mistakes and people pick me up and help me and teach me. And we work collaboratively. People will act with me instead of acting upon me or the little baby is born And it goes into the NICU, even just going into the NICU for two to three weeks, like crying, 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 crying. No one's helping. No one's helping. No one's helping. You get the touch through the rubber glove. Maybe you get some physical contact here or there, but crying, crying, the baby gets put in daycare very quickly in in life, four weeks in six weeks in here in America, especially it's really bad. You get dumped into daycare where it doesn't smell anybody who's, who's even close to a family scent. So you're alone and you have to compete with strange kids for a stranger's approval to try to get that stranger to take care of your needs. And, And you are daycare, 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 or mom is depressed. Mom is working all the time. Mom is gone. Dad is depressed. Dad is angry. People are hitting you. People are screaming at you. Your brain learns no one will take care of your needs and that people will act upon you and will only act upon you kindly when you earn their approval. So you have to start pushing buttons to get your needs met. It is all about acting with for secure attachment or learning that you will be acted upon or that you must act upon others for insecure attachment styles. That's what the brain learns very early on. Whether mom and dad were great or not, the experiences can shape it too. And you can correct this. A parent can correct this and work on this and teach and guide if the parent knows how. But that is where attachment forms. And then it carries forward through experiences of abuse, neglect, arguing, um, perfectionism, and and never being corrected. And parents never know, they know not to do the bad things, but they don't know the good things to do, to release oxytocin and bond with the child. They're just kind of like, you know, they're there a little to me, you know, pat on the head and that's it. And, and the nurturing isn't there. And then the brain says, I must not deserve this love. Things like that happen and all of this shapes the child into a person who thinks they have to be perfect
0: mm. they have to be
1: anxious they have to, and the only thing they can do is worry more no one's ever going to help them the only defense against pain in this world is to worry more than they have before which leads into generalized anxiety disorder which when you hit teenage years you can't manage that anxiety level anymore so you start crashing into depression and then mm. you start crashing into panic attacks or other problems and you start medicating it with drugs and you don't think there's ever going to be a better way because it's now a fundamental law of the universe that no one will ever love you so you have to be alone and learn to act upon others or protect yourself from being acted upon and that's where the attachment style goes and it floods into all these mental health and addiction and suicide and all kinds of problems bad relationships among them which you go mm. out and if you've never felt that love how are you going to have a good dating relationship mm. i look at the modern dating circles right tinder well it's like hey what's your first name i don't even know whatever okay and then you can you go at it and then you have a baby with that person and Then you're like okay i guess we're gonna try to raise this baby whatever that's where we're going. That's why it's getting worse with each yeah. generation. It's not getting better with each generation.
0: It's gotten yeah. a lot worse. And, and is and is that is it is there like a timescale for it? So is it like from birth to say three years, or is it kind of, or is it can it carry on right through to like is is there kind of an up of a like a, an upper ceiling of kind of where it kind of, um, can continue to kind of take root or is it a case that, you know, you know, you may be hit 16 or 18 and it doesn't kind of have so much of an Im- impact on you or, or, or what?
1: I see it lifelong from the moment of birth up until I, I mean, I've worked with people in their seventies who were, who acted almost like little children who were terrified of abandonment and hurt. And we fixed their attachment in their seventies and they started healing from that attachment. So when does it get fixed in? People have argued that for, ever, for 140 years now. We've been arguing that but ever since Freud, but um, it does seem to be from birth up until, man, 12. Like I've seen people at 12, like it cements in, but I've mm. seen kids at like, it its it, it scales in and gets worse and worse and worse and progressively worse. But it does seem to be once they hit those teenage years, they crash into depression because they just give up mm. and they've accepted that there is no hope and it's never going to get better and they can never fix it. So 12, mm. I would say from birth yeah. to 12, it seems like that childhood
0: that we would yeah. call
1: childhood, Um and can you especially fi- up to-
0: and yep. can you yep. find it, it was uh, you where like where um where parents are actually kind of they're bonded with their kids and stuff and they're in a loving but they're kind of like a bit absent where you know i've discussed these with people before where 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 they're where parents are f- physically there but they're mentally absent or emotionally absent where they're just oh, not absolutely. kind of connecting
1: absolutely i've i've worked with so many families that you know the parents have two or three kids And each kid is in three different sports and the only contact they have with daily with their children is to eat a granola bar in the car on the way to drop them off at one of their sports. And that's the entirety of their relationship for 90% of the, of the year is just endlessly traveling, 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 barely speaking, no real quality time together. When they're in the car, they've got a video on so that no one has to think of and talk. It's just straight into media Mm. and, and escapism. And that's their whole life. And those kids Mm. just are, destroyed with terror and fear because their brain says, my parents don't love me. My parents tolerate me. They don't want me around. They don't even really like me. And if they ever decide they hate me, then I'm just going to die. I'll starve to death. So then that child becomes a perfectionist of doing everything right, never making problems. And they lock everything inside. And then their parents would bring them to me when the kid had a nervous breakdown at 15. Mm -hmm. Like it's like severe level, like hospitalization. And the kid is like, I'm fine, I'm fine, and freaking out. Mm -hmm. It's yeah, no, it's when parents can parents can think they are doing everything right and they are missing those bonding moments that are so crucial for the child's brain to believe that the child is loved and safe and protected you have mm. to know the things that you're supposed to be telling your children and how to help mm. them feel it so that they not just are loved but they perceive that love
0: yeah and i can see again i can see this because like speaking to some of the guys in my in my community and that i've come into contact with you know there, there's there's very there's very bright individuals who are very very successful um but they reach a point in their lives where they're like, actually i was doing all of this because i wanted to prove myself to my parents and actually i really hate this career are, uh, it's just so mind and I mean, boring and I just want to do something else and it's kind of this you know this and 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 and, and I struggle with it now because like, over here we have this probably the same as over there there's this kind of I won't say middle class but there is like this keeping up with the Joneses notion of you know your kids academic grades and yes. you know, what university they're going to go to and whatever and stuff and you know I, I reach a point now and I, and I call it I began to coin a term for it which is what i call um child top trumps you know so parents talk to each other and they're kind of like oh so how's your kid doing and they're like yeah they're they're doing really well at school and they've been predicted to get these grades in their exams and they're we're hoping that they go to this and whatever and then what about your kid oh yeah they're doing this mm-hmm. and, and it's and, it, and, it, and it's like this pathetic game of 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 parent top trumps where it's where it's like, okay so grade six grades ten oh, we're going to give you that card because you've won that round and it's just like and in, 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 but very few parents what you speak to when you say oh how's your kid getting I'm like yeah oh, they're really growing as a person and, and and I was so proud of them the other day they helped this old lady across the street and you know and we're, we're kind of missing that intrinsic value of kids because it's all tied to academics now right. um, and and there's a brilliant um, a Jungian author called James Hollis and he says that the the greatest burden for a child to bear is the unlived life of the parent and it's so true so true
1: well when we teach our kids that all we care about is their performance then that's all the kids have to measure how much they deserve to be loved by Mm. And and, and if and if all you care about is performance and then you're just like push them in the next performance the next one you may think you're doing them a great service but if you're not stopping to make sure that they perceive that love and especially that that love is not tied to a performance level, it's tied to who they are. you got to do that. Otherwise, you're raising kids who just think that they'll never, ever be loved and that they have to be perfect every moment of every day for the rest of their life, which you're setting them up to be
0: destroyed. Mm, mm. And I think what I notice as well, again, with, with guys, is that is they get to a point at some point, because they're going to hit it at some point, um, whose life am I living? Am I living my life or am I living my parents? parents unlived life and mm-hmm. and i think that is a kind of ticking time bomb as well for a lot of for a lot for a lot of people and you there is this kind of profession particularly professionals they end up in this professional trap where they're kind of effectively they've invested so much of their life in this career and it's kind of six figure pain and it's goodness knows whatever else mm-hmm. and they're like ah, to extricate myself from this is going to be really painful to try and start another career or do something else you know and it's yeah. It's very sad to see because I see and you see guys getting off the commuter train coming from London and stuff. And you're just like, yeah, I really hate my life. And it's really miserable sitting on the train for three hours a day. But I've got no other option, you know, because they've kind of gone down this rabbit hole
1: once you get trapped in that cycle and you think nothing will ever get better and especially when you think you're the only person in the world who's ever going to help you if you can't if you don't believe you can collaborate with anyone else in your life or cooperate with them or get help when you need it you think it's all just you 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 for the rest of your life alone it really does feel hopeless and that's that's the trap of broken attachment is it is just me for the rest of my life it goes back to the childhood no matter how much I cry no one is going to come help me no one is going to come take care of me in any anyway i can't even ask for help that's mm. just me me alone forever
0: mm. one thing i was going to ask you adam and and this is actually quite a selfish uh question of me to ask but it might it might help other people actually because it might be trauma it might be attachment uh sure. i lost my parent my mother when i was 18 so she was she was hit she was killed in a, a road accident okay mm. and one of the kind of things i noticed in the kind of aftermath of it and and probably I've I noticed during periods of my life, which I've kind of worked on is that there is a tendency when you've lost someone close to you to, to not allow other people to get close for fear of losing them. And, mm-hmm. and and I, and I experienced this as a, as a kid as well, when I was at school, um, uh, my best mate from, from primary school elementary school he left to move to another area of the country and then someone else left and then grandparents died and then my aunt passed away and stuff and then you Mm. begin to think hey all of these people that I love and care for are kind of disappearing from my life is it something I've done and I was 18 when that happened you see so I'm probably past the point at which and it would be necessary attachment but is that more like a trauma response do you think something like that?
1: One thing I've learned is that trauma and attachment often go hand in hand. Um, Mm. You can develop what we call attachment wounds, where it may not change your full style, but it hurts your, it wounds your attachment. It wounds your ability to connect. Attachment is the way that we connect to other people. to give and receive love in mutual fulfillment and good faith. That's what attachment is. And when your belief becomes attachment is painful, connecting to others is painful. When you receive those wounds, your brain will start to try to distance itself as a trauma response, but as a, a defense mechanism, Hmm. it will distance itself from others and stop some of the bonding because it is, it is associated bonding with pain and is trying to avoid pain and keep you alive. So it now forms a negative association with attachment so it will become in effect somewhat avoidant of building attachment so you stay away from those people um doesn't mean you have a full avoidant attachment style well maybe not but it may actually look like it and you might functionally have one even if it is the result of trauma it it can definitely happen they they tend to go hand in hand very well
0: Mm, mm, yeah and like i say it's something i've had to do to do the work so to speak on and um and i think you know that it segues into the night the next bit of the conversation in terms of how how these different styles secure anxious avoidant is it avoidant dismissive avoidant fearful Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how do these begin to kind of show up as we kind of go further you know let's let's use the example of a a typical guy who pairs off with a girl has kit um things start to get serious and they settle Mm -hmm. down and have kids and Mm -hmm. you know the usual kind of i'm going to i'm going to be kind of quite uh Kind of hetero, heteronormative nuclear family here, but let's sure. let's go with the general setup. You know, well, how does it sure. begin to kind of play out? You know,
1: well the biggest the biggest thing I see I wrote about in my book, Exhausted Wives, Bewildered Husbands, which is often that an anxious woman who is seeking approval from other people, who doesn't believe she deserves to be loved, will pair up with an avoidant man who doesn't believe anybody will ever give him compassion or love, so he has to keep everyone at arm's length. So he has learned to push people's buttons by being kind to them and making them like him, not to earn their approval, but but so that they will not act upon him unkindly. He can keep them at arm's length and keep them chasing after him. So he will love bomb the anxious woman at the beginning and just, oh, you're so great. I love you. We're going to have this amazing life together. She's never received that before. So she's <gasps> and she starts chasing him, but she never fully chases him because she doesn't want to expose herself because she thinks she's worthless. So she will earn do things to earn his approval. And he will give her approval. (gasps) And then they circle, circle, circle. And his brain treats her like an object. And her brain treats him like this dangerous, like loving person, but also dangerous if he ever figures out that she's a worthless fraud. So they do this endless dance and they can make it work up until they have kids. Then she gets flooded with oxytocin at birth and at breastfeeding. And often, interestingly, we'll have um, milk supply problems because oxytocin allows the, the milk let down. And then the baby can drink it out so the baby has an easier time. But if the baby doesn't, then the baby isn't getting much milk. The baby will, maybe will seem smaller. The baby there's a milk supply, then will go down. That's an interesting fact I'll throw out there. Attachment can lead to milk supply issues. Um, but then what happens is she gets flooded with this oxytocin and is so desperate to make sure her children don't experience the anxiety and fear that she has grown up with and he doesn't go through these chemical changes he's like yeah hey man i don't know i don't know what you're all talking about so she (laughs) testosterone
0: dropped but that's about yeah
1: yeah she will form resentment against him as the kids grow up and he's not doing the right things to grow their grow their, their nurturing and security she will start treating him like an enemy and he meanwhile will have no idea what she's doing or why he will get more and more resentful and because he can't just connect and form a cooperative relationship he has to start pushing buttons so he has to push all her buttons all the time to get sex out of her to make her be quiet, to make her be friendly to make her, because he doesn't want to hurt her But he just wants to keep her where she's supposed to be so nobody gets hurt the way that you would manage an object or a video game. And he does the same with his kids, and he does the same with everybody. And that's the best he understands how to love is just push everybody's buttons, keep everybody where they're supposed to be. And if anyone acts up, you push them down with with the carrot or you push them down with the stick. But you keep everything intact, and you never let anybody get in too close to you because they're going to use it against you. And that boils up until the kids are, you know, early teens and she's had enough. And she's like, all right, we're going to get divorced. I've had enough. And he's like, what is going on? Why are you so emotional? What do you make it a big thing? And it's, it's attachment. Mm. And that was the number one divorce issue that I saw when they say that here in the United States, about 70% of divorces are initiated by women. That is a huge portion of that is he has avoidance style. She has anxious style. They have kids and she has enough and she treats him like the enemy. And he has no idea the whole time of what's happening its attachment.
0: I'm just going to jump into the conversation quickly here. I'm pretty excited to let you know that I have a Discord community running alongside this podcast exclusively for dads called the Guild of Dad's Brotherhood. If you are a dad into self-improvement and you want to get the accountability, camaraderie and resources of being amongst others on your dad improvement journey, then this is for you. It's an insane one-off 5 pounds to join and you also get a copy of my book The Dad Blueprint along with a bonus called Fix Yourself, Fix Your Marriage and a stack of other tools and resources to get you started on your dad improvement journey. Want in? Head on over to dadblueprintbook.com and jump on in today. Mm, I can see that. I can see that. What other dynamic plays out as well in 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 oh, yeah. marriages?
1: Oh, yeah. So uh, the nice guy syndrome of really nice, super nice guys who are super eager to please and really into approval. That is an a man with an anxious attachment style or with an anxious avoidance style, the, the disorganized style. He is desperate to please because he maybe was raised by a single mom or raised by an abusive dad, but a mom who, who was like anxious herself. And, and he bonded with her and he learned how to please women by making them feel good, by doing what they want, by making them happy, by... So he thinks that that's what he has to do with other women out in the world. And he connects with other women the way he connected with his mom. And it's a really big turnoff at first. He seems really romantic, but then that's all there is to him is eager, pleasing. And then being resentful when she doesn't give him what he wants. And she has no idea what he wants because he can't ask because he's afraid to ask, which is usually sex, but she, she won't ask. he, He won't ask her. And, uh, it's this ugly circle of why is my husband always mad at me and always trying to push my buttons and, and never ask for anything, but then demands things. And I've seen that dynamic too. And, and women, very similarly, the anxiety mm. goes right back. Hookup culture. Hmm. hookup culture is designed for anxious people to chase approval from avoidant people who will never really fully connect with them and will ghost them the moment the anxious person develops any kind of feelings or the avoidant person develops any kind of feelings that's what hookup culture is built on the one night stand culture of of tinder and of all the dating stuff it's based on let's chase each other till one of us gets feelings and then we'll run away from each other and we'll just connect to other people and Hmm. people get hurt and hurt and hurt and hurt and it's just an ugly circle
0: Yeah, so that dynamic sounds like that. That effectively you're just putting layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of barriers one after the other until you're kind of you're almost barriering yourself out of anything meaningful at all.
1: (laughs) Exactly, and then you think that's normal because that's all you've ever seen. And if I if there was a difference, I would know different. I've never seen any. Yeah, because you've never been around healthy people because they intimidate you or or you're weirded out by them and they move slower than you probably will. And yeah, that's why.
0: Mm. So, in terms of like how the we've 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 discussed the different kind of dynamics and how they play out in in the relationships, what what in in, in kind of practical terms does does it? I mean, I, obviously, I've I, I've done. I see it a lot with the kind of the nice guy character, quite a lot. Mm-hmm. That's that's the just be, just simply because I'm working with guys. That is the one that I tend to see yeah. the most of. I would say. Um, and and i think you know there's there's various kind of you know glover talks about various different things in his book about you know the cultural reasons for why this has come about but one thing i noticed quite a lot is guys um particularly got sons of baby boomer generation they've seen this kind of passive aggressive kind of yes dear no dear three bags full dear anything for a quiet life i don't get Mm -hmm. involved with any decision making i leave it all to her and stuff and Mm -hmm. kind of and then all of a sudden there's no arguments and there's this kind of big blow up and 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 i see a lot of guys that are kind of repeating that behavior again and their sons now are repeating that behavior again and and that for me sometimes when i look at that is the kind of the most frustrating thing that i kind of I kind of see and it's in and it's and it's fascinating i don't i'm not a big fan of reality tv programs but I, we have a few dating ones over here there's one called um uh, love island i think it's called and i find that fascinating to watch not because it's the scantily clad men and women in it yeah but just the dynamic of how these guys are you know they're big muscle men and they're kind of like you know they're working out and pumping iron in front of these girls and stuff by the pool and but then they're kind of Chasing the girls around like almost like a puppy dog, and it yes. and it's it's a strange dichotomy for me to watch these really buff guys, but then chasing these girls around like kind of puppy dogs. And when I see that, I'm like, hmm, what is that gonna be a kind of a nice guy in the making? There, you know.
1: That's usually what that is. I've worked with because I do coaching on attachment, and I've worked with so many men who are just ripped, they're just like the fittest dudes you've ever seen in your life. And a lot of that is to earn approval from other people. It's the only thing they feel like they can control is what they look like. So they've just beefed it out to the max. And inside, they just feel like trash, and they don't know how to love people or get love from people. They don't think they deserve love at all, and they just run through destructive relationship after destructive relationship. Then they come into me and say, Adam, is this all there is in life? And I have to teach them, okay, no, this is what healthy women would actually want from you. And and here's how to fix who you are so that you can actually give love in a relationship to a healthy woman. And they're just floored the first session and a few sessions in they're talking like it's normal because it is their brain picks it up and learns what's actually healthy. Cause your brain is built for healthy behaviors, but yeah, it's, it is overwhelming for men to learn what a healthy marriage should look like, what a healthy woman wants from them, how to actually get love from people and then how to open up. It's, the, the anxious, the nice guys that come in, they're the ones that usually come in for help because avoidant guys don't see a problem. The avoidant guys think there's a problem with everybody else. Anxious guys, ni- nice guys, they see a problem with them and they just want it to be fixed. So when you tell them, hey, the attachment's a real thing, you can fix it. They go, no way, please show me. And they're desperate to learn. Where the avoidant guys go, nah, that's not true. I'm just going to go over and over here and and push some more buttons and have a good life till they hit rock bottom. Then they're ready to talk about it. Nice guys are at rock bottom all the time.
0: Yeah, that's it. I, do you know what? It's really funny you said that because I always so people said to me, people said to me before they say, what well, what's what's it like working with guys? And I'm like, yeah, guys are great, but the only problem is is guys don't pull the ripcord on their parachute until they're about a meter from the floor. Yeah, um exactly. and 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 what you just said what you were just saying there about like um not the uh, not not the uh, nice guys but the other type of guys yeah like mm-hmm. it's just exactly it's exactly that isn't it? they're not going to take any action until their wife has literally served them with divorce papers and they're out the door sort of thing so Correct. i didn't see now it i'm willing to room. try
1: now i'm now i'm willing to try now i'm willing to listen yeah avoidant guys change for circumstances nice guys change for because they're always miserable mm. that's usually how that game goes
0: mm. I've spoken to uh people and I think I might have even commented on one of your Twitter posts and uh, and 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 one of the things that I that I kind of sort of say to guys to kind of get straight and also kind of renegotiate throughout their relationships is to actually have like a needs, roles, and boundaries discussion. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that is actually work out what your needs are, communicate your needs, work out the roles in a relationship, who's doing what and what your boundaries are, you know, in terms of your boundaries around time and your, uh, and your interests, but also the boundaries around how your wife communicates to you. How important are those kind of three things in this, in, in beginning to repair attachment style, Adam?
1: Jeez, mm, man. I agree with you hundred percent. And I think those conversations should be ongoing, not just yes. one. I tell couples, man, you have to have a state of the union discussion. Like you know, once a month, once a week, it depends where you guys are at, but like, talk about it. Like, Hey, you know, where are you at right now with our relationship? Most guys are terrified to go home and ask their wife. How do you feel about our marriage right now? And you're so like, we're hanging by a thread. That'll just make them realize that we're hanging by a thread. That'll start the end. No, you go and you have that conversation. And then you say, okay, what can we do to bring that up? Like one point. Like if you're one, out, if you're four out of 10 right now, what would it do to bring you up one point? How could we improve your marriage? Just a little bit from your perspective, just step-by-step step? like that right there. Game-changing conversation to have that with your wife and and be able to just say, hey, you know, realistically, where are you at and how can we get better? What can we do as a team? But that takes collaboration. That takes cooperation, which when you have attachment issues, you run away from those things because you don't think they're possible. That's why fixing the attachment has to come first before you can have those conversations that would actually repair it and then make it a good marriage. When Mm. you have bad attachment, you you don't really get a good marriage because you can't do the things that would lead to one.
0: Mm, and the tone, I think, as well is the tonality as well, isn't it? Because I've noticed, you know, and, and I I'm just gonna be I'm just gonna be honest about this. Sometimes we had, you know, we had to do work together, myself and my wife, because sometimes the way we spoke to each other was was bad. And yeah. and, and and it's almost as simple as saying, look, yeah, I, um I don't I don't like the way you just spoke to me in front of the children, um and and, and I can't continue with you speaking to me like that. And 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 sometimes it's kind of like it's <laughs> this is going to sound really crass, but sometimes you're almost having to retrain the way you react to your partner and the way your partner reacts to your response to you. It's almost like you know, <laughs> you know, when you do puppy training, and you're kind of mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm gonna, you're gonna do this, and then I'm gonna give you a treat, and then I, and then you get, and it, it, I'm not comparing spouses to dogs, no, but what I'm is. saying is, is you, is there is, I think there's an element of retraining that has to go on as part and parcel of this isn't it like because especially if you've like you're used to communicating in a, like a really bad and and kind of toxic way
1: well think about it this way if you are used to being acted upon by your parents and by other people and if you are then used to having to act upon other people so that they will take you seriously or back off or give you your say then you get used to acting upon people in conversations. And when we get angry, we act upon other people. So we blurt things out, we push them down. We say, just do that, go over there, go. And we are acting upon each other. So when we have bad communication with our spouse, it's usually because we are trying to act upon our spouse as an object instead of working with our spouse as a partner as a teammate to solve a problem together. It's us saying, I can't solve this with you. So I'm going to solve it in spite of you. You sit over there and let me fix this problem. That's really what that boils down to. And fixing your attachment allows you to say, okay, wait a minute. You know what? We have to fix this as a team or there's no point at all. So let's collaborate on this and cooperate. Here's where I'm at. Let me know where you're at and let's figure out how we can meet in the middle and then how we can solve this problem that we are both facing. That's, mm. that's the heart of it, man, is learning to mm. act with instead of act upon.
0: And th- what follows on from this quite nicely as well is how does this begin to kind of impact attraction as well? Because, you know, nobody wants to live with someone that's got a bear, like a sore with a, is a bear, is like a bear with a sore head, you know, 24 seven. And is kind of moody and grumpy and, you know, and, and, and feels like they're kind of Putting themselves last, and you know, how when you begin to repair some of this stuff, how, how what impact does that have on the attraction levels between man and woman as well? Oh
1: man, oh man, you asked the right question. So, this is what I teach to a lot of husbands who come in and say, My wife does not have sex with me as often as I would like, and I say, I already know why, (laughs) because the long-term female sex drive is built on emotional intimacy and stability. So early on, you know, the first six or seven months, maybe the first year it's amped up to try to bond you to her. But after that point, her brain says, how likely is this guy going to stay with me if I get pregnant? And if you are never, if you are just acting upon her, you never open up to her and share how you're feeling or what you're worried about. You never get her, give her input on your solutions you're about to apply. You never really commit to her fully in that way and, and trust her and bond with her and show her who you are. You never build that level of bond on a deeper level. She is useless to you except as a warm body. And as somebody to take care of your kids and you can hire that out, you can hire a prostitute and you can hire a maid and you can hire a a nanny and that's it. She is really just filling a role that you could hire out and replace very quickly. So her brain says, I am useless to this person and he is rejecting me on a personal level. I am not secure at all. So her her sex drive goes into the toilet at that point. It is just based then on hormones. Once a month, she might feel the urge. Maybe, maybe not. She might do it to keep the peace in the house. She might do it because she feels guilty. Like, but that's it's not her amped up and and wanting you because mm. she feels safe and secure. So you're going to get very very little. It's going to it's going to be unpleasant. It's going to be mechanical. It's going to be leh. And and a lot of guys think that that's just oh man, women just don't like it. You know, after marriage, women just give up. We, no, 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 no. When you build healthy emotional intimacy with your wife in a good, solid way, and you work with her and you boost your communication. I have communication tips I teach guys about how to talk to your wife about a problem without feeling pathetic. When you do that on purpose and you make her feel irreplaceable because she's a life partner for you and you value her thoughts and her insight and her wisdom and you really emotionally invest in her her drive goes through the roof you got to fight her off with a stick because her brain says i am secure i am loved and he will never leave me for somebody else Mm. and then she's safe and stable
0: insecurity when a late when a woman's feeling insecure and, and and this is something i think really kind of blows my guys minds um when a lady's insecure she's going to be retesting whether or not you are a suitable guy to keep around long term and one of the, and, and one of the things that I notice that blows a lot of guys minds and, and also it's I think it's misinterpreted as well within the kind of maybe pickup or maybe um uh game Community which I'm not really too keen on anyway um mm-hmm. but th- this notion of testing fitness testing specifically where they're kind of like they may be giving you a hard time or they're laying they're laying little tests to see to see whether or not you have boundaries Mm -hmm. um does that come about quite a lot we we hear it guys will have heard it discussed as fitness tests or shit tests but essentially Mm that's they're they're kind of testing your whether you're still a suitable long-term mate this blows guys minds a bit doesn't it adam
1: it is. And and it is. it does happen when you have left her feeling insecure or when she has attachment issues and she's insecure and she just doesn't know where to go from here. And if you have signaled tremendous instability and unreliability and untrustworthiness to her, then yes, she's going to test you a lot to see what you're going to do. Because if you for example, can't stand up to her if she's being unreasonable, you are never going to stand up to somebody else who is coming to hurt your family. So a lot of women say they feel relieved when you do stand up to her a little bit in a loving way, because at least it means you're protective over the family and that she can trust that you're not going to wander off into the woods and get, you know, get distracted by a blonde. Who's going to just drag you away because you're just helpless against her, but you're also going to protect her. If somebody bad comes and tries to hurt the family, yeah, your boundaries are huge. But also remember that women are testing you to see if you're emotionally disciplined, because if you are going to be a father for their children, they want you to have emotional discipline so that you, yes, can get angry, but manage it and you handle it properly and you still love and respect and you still build and guide and teach and, and through that anger instead of collapsing into your emotions. Yes, women will test you. As a man, you have to stand up to that and you have to pass those tests by having emotional discipline and fixing yourself on the inside.
0: I'm glad that you mentioned emotional discipline and I'm going to tell you why. Um, w- within the kind of men's mental health or, 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 or um, the mental health space, the mental health discussion around men right now, there is this kind of, there. there is a push to say to guys that they must show, uh, they must show their emotions. Um, but sometimes that's been misinterpreted. I think right now um, as to, be more emotional and there is a difference yeah. between the two of those things and and i had a little bit of a discussion with someone the other day because i said look that's that's expressing emotions um is not a problem but um if you've not got a group of guys or people outside the relationship where you can bounce things off of and you can you've got a um you've got an infrastructure of support infrastructure in place outside of the relationships where you can confide in other guys and have a you know and have healthy male relationships um and a a guy andrew marshall relationship guy over here said this to me he said in the absence of anyone else if you are constantly going to your wife about problems then if you've not got any guys friends or whatever she's going to think the problem is her and it kind of creates um creates a bit of a bit of an issue so my thing is always, yeah, I, I get this push for guys to show their emotion, but there is a um, there is uh, issues if you're just giving that advice indiscriminately. If a guy is a lone wolf who has no friends, you know, because all of that emotional energy is going to be directed straight at his wife. And the bigger problem is, is what if his wife is the problem that he's got to direct, direct that emotional energy at? Do you know what I mean? it's I such do. a it's it's a real problematic conversation and i think people are giving this advice to guys and saying, yeah be more emotional and then they're going yeah i'm going to go home and i'm just going to cry my eyes out to my wife every night mm. i can see there's been an issue with that you know
1: <laughs> that's that's the balance point is we tell men to share their emotions but we don't tell them the purpose of doing so and how to do so mm. what i tell men is share go to go to your wife Tell her voluntarily about something that's bothering you. Say, hey, can I just get your ear for a minute and, and and just have you hear hear me out on something? And you say, here's something that's been bothering me. Not her, but you know, this problem at work. There's this guy at work, he won't stop talking. He's annoying me all the time. You give the problem, you state how the problem makes you feel. It's really frustrating me. I'm feeling stuck. I don't know what to do about this guy. So then you then you mention your solution that you probably have got with other men. Men, our brain goes backwards to observe and forward to act upon that observation. So we go to other men and we say, Hey, I can't solve this problem. And the other guy goes, Oh, and he grunts and he looks at it. He says, Oh, observe, act. And then he gives you the solution. And you say, Oh, thanks. And you go, you have that solution, but you go to your wife, not to find solutions. You go to your wife then and say, here's a problem. It's bothering me. There's this guy at work. You know, it's really frustrating me. I feel stuck. Here's my solution. I think I'm just going to hit him in the head with a brick and that'll end it. And before I <laughs> do that, here's the magic part before I do that. What are, you, what are you seeing here? Can you give me some insight? Can you give me some input on what you think before I do that? You're not asking, should I do it? You're not turning over control of your life to her. You're asking for her insight because the female brain goes back and forth across the hemispheres way more. We go front to back, observe and act. Theirs goes, observe analyze over and over and over and analyze all these pieces and all these relationship touches. And you go to her and ask her to do that. And you'll say, all right, I'm going to hit this guy in the head with a brick at work, but uh, I think it's going to work great. It'll be fantastic. And her brain will process it and say, okay, yes, that would work over here. But what about this little piece way over here that you missed? Like this will have a ripple effect. Have you thought about that? Could you do this piece differently over here like this? And you go, that's great. Where how did you even think about this piece over here? It's her brain difference. And then you praise her for that and you high five and you go on your way. She has now been useful to you. Her self-esteem goes up and you have sent the message that you her is are valuable and a teammate. And, and no other woman could ever take her place because the more you do this and the more she gets to know you, the more valuable she is. So she's got 20 years of data on you of how to help you find better solutions and, and, and single those out versus the 20-year-old blonde who walks by who has no information on how to follow, how to solve problems with you. This new woman, she offers nothing. So, no, nope, the other woman, as she ages, becomes more valuable through wisdom, experience, insight, all of that. Now she becomes secure as she ages. Hey, there you go. That right there, that is how men should share problems with their wives. Share the problem and the solution and ask for input. Not should I do it, but what do you think of this? What are you seeing here? Give me your insight about what you're thinking on the solution. That's the best way to do it. It builds tremendous intimacy. That makes her sex drive go through the roof, but you get the solutions from your friends. Exactly like you said, you go to other men to get the solutions. That's the balance point of sharing your feelings.
0: Mm, I like that. I like that. I, I invite I invited you to comment on that because I've heard you talk about this before. So 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 you are slightly primed for that one a little bit, but it's an interesting discussion because I think that because it it, it it I think it is getting lost in the mental health this the mental health advice on this to guys is or is it mental health advice or is it conventional wisdom i don't know i think it's the prevailing wisdom that men should be a certain way right now Mm -hmm. i think is the the advice on it is sometimes given just indiscriminately and it doesn't take into account relationship dynamics and 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 and, you know evolutionary biology and how we how we actually kind of behave and react to feeling safe and feeling secure and um and and how we react to you know these where there are problems that in- inevitably are going to come up aren't they so uh mm-hmm. adam we have almost gone for the for the whole of the uh t- for the whole of the time period that i allotted you and, and and again it's probably one of those discussions where i may well have to get you back for a second run to kind of delve into some more of this is there anything that you that you think that um that we've not covered that we can kind of wrap up at all to, to, uh, to, to cover this whole issue, uh, this evening.
1: I just want to hammer one more time that people can change their attachment style. If anyone listening to this is thinking, you know, oh man, I'm stuck. I don't know if this is true. Can I really? Yes. You can change your attachment. You can change the way you connect other people. You can find security, stability, and you can start building relationships with other people where you don't feel so alone. You aren't afraid all the time. You can find connection. You can be happy in your relationships and you can look back 50 years from now at a legacy that you have built over your life and you've enjoyed building it the whole time you can fix your attachment and that will fix the foundations of the rest of your life you can it's
0: possible i love it i love it um adam if people want to find out about you people are listening and watching this um, what is the best way for them to link up with you? Uh, I, I know that you're a fairly prolific YouTuber and that you've spent quite a quite a bit of time uh, investing in that channel uh, in the last uh, six to twelve months. Certainly.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, I and I love YouTube, but I'm my TikTok has. I was shocked at how fast TikTok exploded. I went up like 170,000 followers just in the first six or eight weeks of being on TikTok teaching about attachment. Yeah. So over there, if you like videos, I am at attachment bro. I am also on Instagram at, at attachment Adam. Where I have a lot more visual carousels and you can read them and you can send them to people and you can send them to your partner and say, hey, what do you think about this? And use them as conversation starters. That's what I try to encourage people to do on Instagram. Use this as a conversation starter with your partner. Have that talk like you were talking earlier. How do you have those talks? You use something to break the ice. Uh, and then my website, adamlanesmith.com. I've got my attachment bootcamp course on there. If you want to watch seven hours of how to fix this and you want to watch it with your wife and say, this is us, let's do this together as a team. Then you go through the, the course together and you come out the other side in love and bonded with a shared language about how to fix these things. I've got all those resources, baby. I've got everything that people need. So that's right. where I am.
0: All right. Brilliant. Um, And I am going to ask you one last question that I don't prime any guests on the podcast for Mm -hmm. adam what is it in life that gives you meaning
1: Mm. i think about my kids and i think about their kids and their kids and their kids i think about 20 years after i'm dead all my descendants having good loving attachment all the people i'm teaching having good loving attachment all of their kids all of their kids all of their kids i think of a better world where everybody is warm and loved And families are strong and people don't even know my name maybe, but they know attachment and they have built that connection and the world is better because of it. That's what Mm. drives me. I
0: love it. I love it. There's definitely a ripple effect theme going through there. And I think with with all great men looking to create a legacy, there is definitely a ripple effect that they're trying to create on it. So uh, I love it. I love it. Adam, look. I want to say that I appreciate the work that you do. And and, and, and I've, and like I say, we've been trying to get this to happen for a little, for for a little while, but I follow you from afar and I I follow uh, a lot of the videos that you put out and stuff. It's brilliant, absolutely brilliant content. And for any of you guys listening, I thoroughly recommend checking Adam out and checking his videos out. I'm really beginning to think about this stuff because I think that, you know, as we touched upon earlier in the episode, um, When you say, ah, it never did me any harm, trust me, trust me, (laughs) the chances are it probably did. So Adam, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate the work that you're doing.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me here.
0: Cheers, man. If you want to find out a bit more about Adam, you can look him up on YouTube, TikTok, and all the other social media channels. His website is adamlanesmith.com, on which there is a ton of info courses etc. on this stuff. But also check out his book, Exhausted Wives Bewildered Husbands. It's a really good read, and I know that you'll take a ton of information from that as well. Um, If you enjoyed today's episode, the greatest compliment you can give me is a rating or review on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also share with friends or relatives you think may benefit. And don't forget, look me up and follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening, guys, and I'll catch you next time.